Tavid and Anachas to be back. If we both just came to Muncie, I feel like it was yesterday. I was just here, and it was three years ago, four years ago. But in a busy schedule, your uh, Manal is one of those people I can't turn down. I know him too long, as well as the Rabbeim. We're talking about decades and decades of a wonderful uh, relationship in Shaykhus. So it's Takanachas to see the Paris of... Uh, if I remember from a few years back, I was, can't say surprised, but uh, pleasantly surprised that everybody listened so well. And when I threw out a question or two, um, by hand only, please, there was uh, decorum. So we'll try it again. And let me begin with... Uh, the first Shaila, as a matter of fact, this word uh, from Abshmul is part of the theme I wanted to talk about, so I appreciate uh, the opening already. Uh, let's begin Simon Kufna and Zayn and Yeridea. Shouldn't be Nogea, but the last thousand years it was very Nogea. You look at the Pischechuvas over there, they're endless and it's gruesome. All the Shailas that came up when he does have to be killed and he has to get injured and he has to put himself in Zakana. If a guy comes over to somebody from the Gimel Averis Chamerus or Shas Hashman in front of Ten Yidin, and he lets us say, Shas Hashman, even a minig, and he threatens to kill you, but then is you have to die. If a person has the matzah of Leilenu and he, the Skabran and he says, he goes to the greatest Chelik in Elam However, it doesn't say anywhere in the entire Simon or anywhere in the Sugya that you should be looking for this mitzvah, Adarabah. If a guy comes over with a gun and you can tell him, just do me a favor, give me 20 minutes, I have, have to ask a shayla, I don't know what the din is, I'll be right back. You should go ask the shayla and then disappear. One should not be in the matzav and stay in the matzav. One certainly doesn't have to bring the fight to the enemy. If that's true, than what the Chashmanaim did in Hanukkah as a Chiddush Nifla. See, if you know the history, first, when the Asr doing mitzvahs, they left their town, they went to caves, and they were doing mitzvahs in the cave. Nobody knew about it. They were able to do mitzvahs as free men. And then, a few months later, all of a sudden, they come out of the cave, put themselves in Sakana, and start a war which Apidar Chateva can't be won. Anybody know of any particular chiv to do that? We just finished saying that you have to run away and you can't put yourself in a matzah. If you stand there with a gun, you can't get away. Then you have to get killed. But if you have a place to do mitzvahs and they're not bothering you, what does it say you have to leave the cave to go fight a battle? The answer is it doesn't say it anywhere. And under regular circumstances, it's also the Ramam holds that if a person is not mechiv to get killed and they get volunteer, it's suicide. There's shaynim that achaylek. It's a shayla how we paskin. Take a look at the first shach there in Kufnan Zion. But it's at least a machlekes. And here, everybody's maskim. They did wonderful things. It was gavaldik. It was the right move. Why? So just the pashup shot. At that point in Klyestral, they had many Yidin, 10%, 20%, 30%, 40%. It was a very large number of Yidin who were interested in assimilating. They already did halfway. They were Mesyavnim. And faced with the Harvayavra, they weren't interested in getting hurt, and they were more interested in pleasing the Greeks. So who was going to get killed over here? 
the uh, right wing of Klai Yisrael, the Frum, the Kanaim. Matisio realized that if this continues, the Frum will all be dead, and the Fry will be taking over, and Klai Yisrael will cease to function. And as Hara Shah, he realized as difficult as it is and as challenging as it is, we have to take the fight to the enemy and not just stay in the cave. Which is a chiddish, it's a rasha, and that's why you have the Gedele Yisrael paskening such a rasha. And as Pachter just said, Hashem showed us Askama, we went Lefimishur Sadin, Hashem showed us the Nes of the Muhammad and the Pach Shemin, to show that it wasn't an Avera, it was a chiddish, it was a rasha, but it had to be done, and that's why I'm giving you Hatzlacha. The Pele is, and this is what that Ramban deals with. If you look at the end of the story, I have a 12-year-old son. Arya, he likes reading a lot, so he uh, devours hundreds of pages of history. So he read the Art Scroll, and he read the uh, Second Temple Art Scroll, and he read, he read the whole thing from beginning to end, walking home two nights ago. And he says, I don't understand. The Chashmanam saved Klai Yisrael, and it seems to be that every single one of the sons got killed, which is true, four were killed in battle. The last one finally secured Eitz Yisrael and he was poisoned by his son-in-law. Pretty horrific end. All five were killed. And then within two or three generations, the grandchildren and great-grandchildren were misyavnim. They were tzedukim. Everything they fought for, their own descendants became misyavnim. And then Hordis killed everybody out until the last young lady jumped off the roof and said, there's nobody left. So in the mind of a 12-year-old or a 22-year-old or a 32-year-old, this is very difficult to comprehend. With the Ramban, they took the Malchus. They didn't take the Malchus. The original ones clearly didn't take the Malchus. The later ones did, but they were Mizyavnim. So what's the Taina? So that needs Hezber, not for now. But just look at the story. We're here celebrating, eating donuts and singing and saying, Halva Adaya. And the people who saved Klai Yisrael were completely finished in Gashmias and in Ruchnias. The family had no kiyam. That doesn't sound very uh, palatable. That doesn't sound like a nice end to the story. It seems to be a theme. I'll look ahead. It's an Uber so we have a few months. But on Perm, where we're singing and dancing even more, getting a little tipsy. And everybody's thrilled, and we forget that as we uh, leave the base Medrash after Kriyas and Megillah, there was a Sadekis who was left in the palace for the rest of her life, married to Achashverish. So we don't focus on that end of the story, because that's not, uh, doesn't fit into the theme. She was a Sadekis who saved Klai, so Esther Malka is obviously uh, something, uh, somebody did something. The answer is, uh, well, maybe they tried, but nothing was done. She was left in the palace. And with all the Kayach and Mordechai Yehudi, nothing could be done. So again, you're like, what kind of ending to the story is that? We used to like having things in neat packages where the good guys win and then they live happily ever after. And here the good guys got killed physically in battle, one at a time. And the last one, it's much more becoming to get killed by the Greeks than get the poison by your son-in-law. And then everybody goes off the derech. So my 12-year-old demanded, not wanted, demanded to know what's the pshat. And then 
as he was ending his question, he said, and I, I, I know Tzadik Rala Rosh of a Tevloi, but uh, not in this story. No. What do, you, what do you think? Maybe you didn't know the history. Well, now you know. So we don't say Halel and Kelmel Rachamim. There's no, there's no zecher of this at all. The answer is, and I say this to a mature audience. You know, Ramesha used to say that uh, the reason children went off the derech in the 20s and 30s is because the parents used to complain and they used to talk out loud how difficult it was to be a yid, and the children hear enough how difficult it is, they're not interested. If it's so difficult, what do you need it for? So, with that backdrop in mind, so what's the message here that uh, the heroes and those who were Mesa Nefesh all died? Family is gone from Klai Yisrael. And we're celebrating. So let me begin with a, uh, another sobering thought the Ramchal and Das Tvunas gives the Hagdama. I'll just read a few lines of it, but uh, if you memorize it and uh, put it in your pocket, you'll be able to pass any sign in life because he warns you ahead of time. It's very un-American what we're about to read. In America, we live a very comfortable existence, and life is beautiful and wonderful, and it should continue. And um, we have a society where the entire focus in the outside world is to constantly invent and improve technology to make life easier, which is mamish uh, it's the antithesis of uh, what a ben, ben terrier should be picking up. Because their whole Lashkaf Sachayim is that uh, we're trying to get to a point that you could just sit in front of your screen, not have to raise your arm more than it takes to get on the mouse to click, and just stare. And whatever you have to do, you won't have to move. From a physical health point of view, even the guy are realizing that's not a very good idea. And from the intellectual point of view, we're basically learning how not to think and not to stretch ourselves. And the guy hold that this is Spitz progress. Like we're going to get to a point, you mamish won't, you'll be able to do everything from your seat, you won't have to move. The other day, somebody was telling me they came out with a new program, you have shots and pace coming at your fingertips, and he was going on and on. It's how gewaldic it is. I said, Why is it gewaldic? He said, Well, I, I, I don't think it's good. I said, It's great for Mama Kaim. He said, Why do you think it's gewaldic? He says, It's great. You just press the button and you don't have to learn. It's just like, it's all in front of you. That fits into the general Hashkaf Sachayim. It just, we want to press the button and it jumps out at us. So the Ramchal says, Yeshlacha Ladas. He should know Hagdama Gadayla. This is the Hagdama for life. Hashem never forgets about his creatures, never rejects them, is always there even though we don't see it. And he says, the more Hester there is, and the more we don't see it, the more we should know that's a preparation for a tikkun, not a kilkul. And everybody feels that Hashem is not paying attention anymore. And people suffer because of their avarice and their incorrect decisions. And yet we have to know that whatever is going on, whatever difficulty we face is for our growth. It's not shot. We have a difficulty. We have to get around it. It's here to test us, to give us the muscle in Ruchnius to be able to 
practice and exercise to know how to come close to a Kodesh Baruch Hu. Quotes Yaakov in this week's Parsha, Vayam Yisrael Lama Riesemli, and the Medrash Rabbah says, Yaakovina's entire life, he said one thing, and this was it. Everything else, consider the greatest Baal Bitochen. And because he's Yaakovina, he's taken to task. What's Lama Riesem? After having Avelis for years for Yasef, and now he's going to lose Binyamin, it was a pletus peh. He was in pain. Yaakovina was held accountable because in Yaakovina's Madrega, he has to know at all times that if you face a difficulty and something's hard, not only do you have to be mezgaber, but you have to know the pain you're going through is a setup in order to give you a bigger Yeshua. Vezebanaav, this is the rule to teach us. Whenever Hashem wants to give us a gift, calls man and It'll only come through pain. In America, I have expression, no pain, no gain. It's such an important call for Yeshiva Bacher, who, Baruch Hashem, at this point in your life, you don't really have to make decisions that are sometimes painful for a family. Your daily decision, almost hourly decision is, do I go through the pain of really pushing myself to focus on this Rabbi Kiveger? be a lot easier if I could just find somebody's notes afterwards and just read it in a shutchis dig away and hope that Rebbe doesn't ask about it on the test. Why do people look at that Rabbi Kiveger and that Masha and start thinking, well, this looks difficult, what do I do? So most people say, well, it's probably above my ability to understand. That's not a cop-out. Those who don't say that say, well, um, one bacher once told me it's above my pay grade. I said, which pay grade are you in? He said, well, actually, it's above my pay grade because I get paid nothing to come here. And all the money goes to yeshiva. And um, I don't see why I have to work so hard. At least he's honest. I like honesty. It's above my pay grade. I remember that. So um, what's the answer? No, he doesn't pay. It's above his pay grade. It doesn't get paid. The answer is, is that those who are lazy and get lazy and don't want to apply themselves. And I understand it. Why should you? It almost hurts the brain. You concentrate too much, too much hasmada, too much amkis. It can hurt. And after all, Amisha does say, you don't want to make it too uh, painful for the kids because they're not going to want to stay in it. For those of you who finished the Masechta and Chazid didn't really know it, those who sweated through the Taisis and the Marshana Bikiveger, any Bacher who has done that even once in his life will know that if you really want to taste Simcha Sachayim, you want to taste the Mesikus, the only way to do it is to go through that pain and be misgaber and see that it was very worth it. And somehow, every American Bacher understands the concept no pain, no gain. I was once witness to, I don't know if you have, I saw a basketball court on the side, but uh, in Muncie, there's uh, plenty of room. And most people in their backyard, certainly in Viola Park, have plenty of room to play football. I once passed by, it was late December, not like a winter this winter, they canceled winter, but not like uh, the real, the Mafia Dikadars, and I grew up, there was real snow in Muncie. And I saw a group of Bachrim playing football in two feet of snow, and it was, I think, like five degrees out. Now, playing with a Heslavus. 
I was looking from inside my heated car. It looked painful. So I couldn't resist. So I got out. And um, after there was one guy on the ground, looked very injured, I figured it's time to give him a little schmooze. And I said, um, I'm not here to stop the game. You can continue. I would play a little bit more carefully. Bochum have this funny thing. You could play a hard touch, which means uh, kill the guy, but don't tell anybody. And, uh, and somehow not put on equipment. But that's a different schmooze. And um, I pointed out, I said, you know, guys, it's a little chilly out here. They said, yeah? It's much five degrees. I, I, was, uh, I was cringing as I was talking to them. I said, you know, the snow is very deep. They said, yeah, it's very geschmack. So why is it that they didn't realize they were freezing over as they were standing there and that they were trudging over the snow and each, each step was like mamish or malocha? So the answer is, is that they were having fun, except for the kid on the ground. And out of avo of the game, they totally ignored all the pain and the fact that there were some parts of their fingers that really couldn't feel anymore. None of that made a difference. Because if you're in it and you realize that the Ava, especially if you win, is worth the Hishtadlus, then you ignore all the impediments. And the Rabchal is saying over here that when you're thrown impediments and roadblocks from Shamayim, you should know this is the tip of the Yeshua where you're going to mamish taste Hatzlocha. The fact that Baalamazet, not always Nikr, Chashmanaim killed out, and then the kids went off the derech, is irrelevant. Chashmanaim are sitting in the Elamamets, and they're responsible for the fact that the, there is a yeshiva here in America, and that we're learning, and that we're davening, and that we're from. It's all to the credit of the Chashmanaim. So the first lesson in life that you have to learn, especially from a Maisa like Hanukkah, is it's irrelevant whether we see it now, or whether even looking at history, it looks like it's not fair. Because Baruch was neman to give us schar, whether you see it as soon as you do it, you see it a year later, you see it ten years later, or you look back in history, you don't really see the justice at all. Hakosh Baruch Hu is neman l'shalem schar, and we have to believe in one thing: that schar is coming, and Hashem is helping us build our olam haba. A practical example of a mitzvah that's very uncomfortable. I noticed this this past. Uh, Yamim Naraim. He asked people about the mitzvah deraisa of Achea Tochich So people have a very um, nervous reaction when you start talking about that. Because the Pasuk says, the Chiv Daraisa, it's in all the Minyan mitzvahs. Nobody says you're Potter. There's a lot of imagined misconceptions, which I will mention briefly. Anybody is over bar mitzvah, which is everybody in this room. When you see another bocher doing something, or you know about something, certainly that the Rebbe doesn't know about. When you're sitting with a chabur and some issue that might sound like Lashon Hara is coming comes up, and you have to think fast, what do you do? So misconception number one is, I'm only 14 years old. And that's why we have Rabbeim, that's why we have a Manal, that's why we have a Rav, and it's not Nagea to me. The Chiv Achiyach is Nagea to, as I mentioned, everybody over Bar Mitzvah. And it's impossible for any Rebbe or any Manal or any Rosh Hashiv or any Rav to know exactly what's going on at any given time. 
You can only know the information given to him or what he's being fed or what he sees. And I can't tell you how many situations I have. The good news is a Bochum call me and they say, this and this is the story. What should I do about it? So first I say, can you mention it to the Rebbe? He said, no, I'm not going to have any friends left. Can I mention it? Uh, can you mention it to a parent? He says, no, he's never going to talk to me again. I said, well, uh, it's your lucky day. It happens to be a Zachiv, the race of a Chet Achich. And uh, if you say it with Ava and you say it in the right way and you say it with Chachma and you go over to him and you say, look, I didn't know this was us or either until 10 minutes ago. Or I'm struggling with it as well. Why don't we work on this together? There's a real Chiv, the race to do this. And a lot of Bachrim, we have 9th, 10th, 11th, 12th grade over here, and they say, I don't know, this doesn't sound like the key to popularity. Uh, we're not here to be popular, we're here to help our friends. What I noticed was the Mishabura never says anything twice. In Hilchazer of Yom Kippur, he says something four times in five lines. Absolute Pella. Four times the same exact thing in five lines. Which tells me that Chavaz uh, Chaim heard of the same ridiculous misconception he's trying to address it. As soon as you finish understanding, the mitzvah is not just on your Rebbe, on your Rav, it's on you, and you've got to take care of your friends. The next thing is, everybody knows this Gemara for some strange reason. They say, I, I don't think there's a chi of mutu shishayikin value mezidin. If, if he doesn't listen to me, I'm going to make him into a bigger maze, and I'm not doing him a favor. Now, there is a Gemara that says mutu shishayikin value mezidin. It only applies, and I felt this before I saw this, but uh, apparently the Chavaz Chaim is very strong in the issue. It only applies if you're either 100% or 99.5% sure that he's not going to listen, which is never the case if your friend is orthodox. He might not listen in front of you. You might get immediate rejection. He might get annoyed with you. And then later on, when he thinks about it, when he's alone in his room, he might realize you have a point and not be so quick to do it next time or to say it next time. And Mishabur is talking about a machaber, which brings down a gemara, that women, the Nashim Sitkanias, had a problem with a particular din. There's a din of Tosefah's Yom Kippurim, which means you have to add on to Yom Kippur. It's a din of Reisa, Tosefah Shabbos, the Machalik Sishem, with the Reisa, the Rabbonim. And the women, probably because they were clearing off after the Sudas and Asekis, they were always running late, and without a clock, I don't know how they pulled this off without getting involved in banish mushes, but they went to Shkia, and they weren't Mekayim Tosefiz Yom Kippurim. So the Gemara says, why don't we tell them? The Gemara says, well, we tried that, but it's not working, so just be quiet, because Mutu Shishagin Valiyam Ezidim, they're not going to think, they think it's a Nayachumah, the men are making up just to chepper them, leave them alone. Mechaber brings us down, and the Machaber says, Nashim Shaikhlis, the Shay says, Asha Hashechavan and Yedish Mitzvah Hesim Machal Kadesh, Ema Macham Yadim Teshalayev, Lasses Bezodon. And the Ramah adds, Vuadim Behold Var Isser, Armina, Mutu Shishagin, Valyum Ezidim. Great, we're all off the hook. So Mishabur says, Ain Mamachin, you don't object. Dafka, Biede, Bavadai Shalay, Kablu Mimenu. Only if you know for sure, 100%, 99%, 98%, that they're not going to listen. Alva Besafek, Shami Yakablu Tsarach Limchas, the Mishabura, and the next line. Gamkank, Shabar Loshali Kablu Mimenu. A third time, Ratzalaimer, Gamkank, Babar Shem Yamalahem Lo Yakablu. Mishabura repeats it over and over and over again. It's apparently, Mishabura, Chavaz Chaim met many people who said, Yeah, nobody gives to Chachateb, he's not going to listen anyway. It's not true. This comes up, Bachram, five times every day. I know you'll say, well, I don't know, it's, uh, these are good boys, my friends, I'm talking about good boys, I'm talking about boys who understand that if you tell them something, they might actually uh, get annoyed, or they might say, yeah, but uh, everybody does it, or some other lame excuse, and then hopefully they'll think about it afterwards. The second uh, huge misconception is that uh, I can't give to a who am I? 
I'm not perfect myself. Well, every Pasi and Chumash is talking to everybody. If we're waiting for people who are perfect, then no one's chayev in any mitzvah. Who's Ochayat Ochayat talking to? I admit that um, I told this to the guys in shul. I said, everybody is a chiv to make sure that the guy sitting next to them is quiet during davening. I would suggest that the biggest talker in shul shouldn't be the guy going around shushing everybody. That I'm made to. That's not going to resonate. But if you're average, you go over the guy and you say, look, I struggle with this also and I'm not perfect. I'm telling you that ahead of time. However, I think uh, Rebbe mentioned a week ago that this is really also, or this might be Lashon Hara. Let's go ask Hashayim. Let's talk about it. It's a chiv deraisa. That means any bacher who puts tefillin on in the morning goes to Seder, where Sittis, Lulav and Esrig, is chayv in this mitzvah as well. If this were focused on and practiced more, I think uh, many of the um, small, quote-unquote, small averas that are done throughout the day would be, if not put out, certainly put down to size, just that nobody likes doing it because everybody likes friend who wants to be firmer than thou. So again, it depends how you come off. Chashmanayim, the reason this is Sonagayat Hanukkah, besides the battle they fought against the Greek, their main battle, unfortunately, was against Yidin who weren't with the program. And they were very unpopular. Nobody likes to be told what to do, and the Messiavnim were interested in going the other way. And they said, we have a job to do, and we really can't care what you think. We have to push this agenda. And that was with people who really didn't want to listen, who were kamat, if not completely off, half off, not with from a bachram who in yeshiva already understand chashivas atera and diktuk b'mitzvahs. It's just that sometimes they just don't know the din, and sometimes they're not focused. And you can have six bachram sitting around. Lashon hara comes up. Sometimes a comment about a rebbe, the test is too hard. Rebbe doesn't understand us. Whatever the case may be, one bachram in that group has to say, um, Rabbi Sai, maybe um, we should either switch the topic or be down the kapschus. Maybe there's another way to do this. The reason this is not done, and please don't misquote this next part, because um, if you ever, throughout your life, hopefully now it's not to have a chiv, time your job to uh, go online. So you all know, please don't go near that thing without a filter and an accountability program. If you don't know that and you uh, have been doing it in your spare time, uh, please see me afterwards. I mean that because many people uh, told me, yeah, I know this accountability thing. You have a chavusa and you, uh, you send the, uh, all the report to and I don't know, I don't like it. I'm embarrassed, this and that. Uh, I have um, dozens and dozens and dozens of reports coming to my computer every day. And um, once in a while, they're not good. Most of the time, they are good. And when they're not good, we discuss it. So um, the article I'm about to read is going to mention something about online. So I'm just giving the disclaimer that uh, don't look this up. And don't go there if you don't have to in the first place. And if you do and your parents haven't woken up to the 21st century yet and don't have a filter on the computer, applies to parents also in a very careful way. Um, you might remember there was one of the great who smashed all his uh, father's internet connections. So Medrisha talks about it. Uh, so if your parents aren't yet with the, uh, with the program, I'm not saying smash the entire computer, but uh, if, they're, uh, if they haven't heard any of the schmoozing, please, uh, you can call me anonymously and ask me. I have a CD on it that's been, uh, gave over 40,000 of them. You can, uh, you can get a copy or ask your parents to download it. Uh, with that disclaimer, I couldn't resist that. Just uh, I'm sure I'm preaching to the converted. Just a friendly reminder. There's a Yid who's not yet from... Somebody sent me this article last year, and it's, uh, it's a classic. Um, he's a brilliant guy. He's actually now, he used to be living in Israel. He's an Israeli. Now he's a professor in one of the Ivy League uh, universities. His name is Dan Ariely. 
pretty Jewish name. And uh, he wrote some very, very famous books on uh, the Mamash Musar farm. He just he doesn't know that yet. But uh, the books about his observations of how humans interact with each other and how they make decisions and how they figure things out in life. You might see a Yiddish and a shaman here, even though he's missing the last step, Tera and Tera Sinai and the Maseira. But um, when I hopefully sit down with him, we'll try to clear that up. But the value of what uh, he writes about here, he has the name of his book is Predictably Irrational, which means uh, people who are uh, trying to make decisions, how they make decisions, not necessarily based on logic. And uh, the Musser in this is, um, so it's important for everybody, but particularly for Bochrim. Bochrim are at a stage in their life where they're trying to figure things out. That stage lasts from age 13 to age like 43. And uh, by that time, usually you get pretty grounded. And as we all know, but we don't like to admit, often our decisions are made of when to make a machal, when not to make a machal, when to go along with something that we know we shouldn't be doing. Is made not based on our inner hashkafa sachayim. It's based on what the other guys are doing. Let's face it. That's the way it works. Peer pressure is the um, single most important moving factor in anybody's life. I like to tell parents uh, they don't like to hear it, but um, parents don't like to hear it. Rabbanim don't like to hear it. Rabbanim don't like to hear it. Uh, the parents have maybe a ten percent sway in what the kids do, and the rabbanim have maybe another ten percent. Maybe the rav has five percent, and uh, the other sixty-five percent uh, will be decided by the friends that you pick and the chaburah you hang around with. And if they're going up, you will go up with them. If they're going down, you will go down with them. And this uh, Don, Mr. Arielli who, by the way, was uh, injured in, a, he was in the IDF, and he was injured in an accident, not in war. A, um, a, pe- a weapon he was uh, handling blew up, and he was burnt, from head to toe. He spent years in the hospital. He was unable to move, but his brain wasn't touched, and he was obviously a very brilliant fellow. And he said most of his theories came when he was sitting in the hospital for years trying to figure out humanity and people and life, which, again, he didn't get to the Moscone yet, but he's, he's working on it. So he says, I'll read to you his uh, Lushen. He was uh, once online and uh, he saw an ad for The Economist. The Economist is a well-known uh, business publication, similar to the Wall Street Journal, but it's, uh, it's uh, printed in London. It's read all over the world. And he saw an ad for subscriptions. Everybody's always trying to sell something. Listen carefully, boys. You have some economics course here. They do something in the afternoon. Uh, this is going to be uh, very high ma- mathematics, so just concentrate, okay? Uh, the subscriptions over here gave three choices. You can either get the online subscription, economics.com, for 59 US dollars. It's a British publication. They put it in U.S. dollars, 59 U.S. dollars. Or you can opt for the print subscription, which is $125. They're going to deliver it to your door every week. Okay, and online, you've got to be $59 is cheaper. You've got to be able to go online and look here. You have a paper you can read in the house. Option number three is you can get the print and web subscription. For $125. Should I repeat that? $59 for the web-only subscription. $125 for the print subscription. 
And if you want both, you can get it for $125. So he's a very brilliant guy, and he looked at it, and the ad was right there, and he went back to read it slowly. He thought maybe it was a misprint. And then he realized he figured it out. I'll quote to you his uh, observation. I suspect the clever people of the Economist London office were manipulating me. I'm pretty certain they wanted me to skip the internet-only option. Obviously, that'd be the first choice. First of all, anybody seeing this is on the internet, and second of all, it's the cheapest option. And jump to the more expensive option, which is the internet and print. Obviously, they're trying to sell something and want you to spend more money, right? How are they going to get me to do that? The answer is that they knew something important about human behavior, and that is, listen carefully because this is the aside in peer pressure, humans rarely choose things based on absolute terms. That is, if you're not from, you don't have any absolute term to base anything on because there's no nukudus MS. So you're just trying to figure out like where you belong and where you fit. Nebuch, if you're not from, he's 100% right. We don't have an internal value meter that tells us how much things are worth. We do, but he doesn't know about it yet. Rather, we focus on the relative advantage of one thing over another and estimate value accordingly. He says, for instance, I don't know how much a six-cylinder car is worth, but I know it's more expensive than a four-cylinder model. We don't even know what six-cylinder means, but if they ask us to buy a car and it gives you three prices, four, six, and eight, and people like to be in the middle because it's comfortable. Why go to any extreme? So if you give people the choice, then they'll pick something in the middle. In the case of The Economist, I might not have known whether the Internet-only subscription of $59 was a better deal than the 125 But I certainly knew that to get both for 125 was certainly better than the print-only option of 125 That anybody could figure out. So basically, what they were forcing me to do is they looked at it, and they knew people would be staring at it and looking back, and they say, well, I wasn't really going to buy the print, but if they're offering the print and the internet subscription for the same price, I can't turn down a deal like that. It's brilliant, absolutely brilliant marketing. He goes on to give a few such examples, but his mascana is is that people don't really know what they want in life unless they see it in context. We don't know what kind of racing bike we want unless we see a champion in the Tour de France. I don't know what that is, but it sounds koshiv. Ratcheting the gears in a particular model. And once we say that, we say, that's the model I want. I didn't want it before, but he has it. So that looks good. We don't even know what we want to do with our lives until we find a relative or a friend is doing just what we think we should be doing. And therefore, everything is relative and that's the point. Like an airplane pilot landing in the dark, you want runway lights on either side of us guiding us to the place where we can touch down our wheels, even though we have absolutely no idea where we're going. But it doesn't make a difference. If a guy doesn't know where he's going, as long as he has lights over here and over here, my stomach's supposed to land in the middle. And as long as these guys are doing it, they look pretty normal, so then that's fine. I'll just uh, land somewhere in the middle. This is what peer pressure is all about. Most people take the lazy way out, and instead of figuring out what is the real MS, what the Kosh Baruch really want, we look around and we say, okay, I'm from, I'm a Ben Terror. I look around, and there's a pretty normal uh, student body, and they got some guys who are really super from, 
And then we have guys who are not really with the program yet, and uh, I don't want to be too extreme. And uh, got runway lights over here and over here, and I can land somewhere in the middle. That sounds good. If you do that, if the Hashem did that, they could have landed somewhere in the middle and stayed in the cave. Even at that point, they were their extreme right wing. But to go fight a whole Muhammad's mitzvah, a whole religious war, and start forcing people to keep mitzvahs and cleaning up the base of Mikdash, why is that necessary? It's not the road to popularity, and it's dangerous. And yet, the Chashmanayim are here watching Menashemayim, looking at their nachas of Klai Yisrael, still here, a thousand years later, because of their Avedah. My message to the Bochum over here is that Baruch Hashem, your parents do pay the tuition. You're not getting paid yet, but everything is taken care of. And it's very easy to get comfortable and say, you know what? I'm learning, which you all are, and I'm getting decent marks on my tests. And I know Lashon Haran exists, and I know Shmir Sinayim is a chiv, and I know all these things. And I look around, and I would put myself dead center among my friends, and that's fine. Uh, Hanukkah is teaching us one message. That's not fine. You have to be gravitating toward the top. You have to be breaking the mold. You have to be doing things which might look like, well, why bother? No one else is doing that. And the answer is, well, if you do it, there'll be plenty of other people doing it. You have to be a leader, not a follower. And Mr. Dan over here is just observing that most people don't do that because you have to be courageous and you have to have a compass and you have to be focused. And if there's no set value system, which Nebuchadnezzar doesn't have yet, why bother? And coming from where he's coming from, that's correct. If you have a set value system, it's called Shas and Peskim. And it's really clear what the din is. You not only have a chiv to do it yourself, bihidura, you have a chiv to make sure your friends are doing it as well. And the fact that your Rebbe didn't touch on it recently is because he can't fight 100 battles at once. And the fact that he doesn't know about it, didn't say anything, is also not a raya. And if you really want to take something from Hanukkah, it's putting yourself, your reputation, no one's asking you to put your life on the line, to be able to improve your chabur, your friends, your matzav, so that it makes it easier for you to go up and you to have that aliyah because people are coming with you. And if they're not coming with you yet, to start the aliyah and then they'll follow a mitzvah shem. And that's something, if you're going to walk away with one thing from Hanukkah, it's something to think about. Next time you're in this matzav, and I'm not talking about Gimel Avez Ramirez, I'm talking about Lashon Har over here, and Shmir Sanayim over here, and a little bit of terror over here, and a little Chukas Akam over here. But it's part and parcel of many decisions we make every single day. And the reason we console ourselves is that, no, I'm not perfect, but uh, this is the Chavra, and it's fine. Hashem wants you to be the Reisha Chabura. You say, well, not everybody can be the Reisha Chabura. The answer is, you start He'll start, he'll follow. Chabur will be the next month in a different Madrega, and then you'll be the Rish Chabur again and raise it to the Madrega after that. That's the entire Hanukkah in a nutshell, and those that did it are in Alam Haba. Their Alam Haza was challenging, and you have to be ready for that. The real Sipak Achayim is knowing you did the right thing at the end of the day, and it's something to internalize. Our friend, Lucha Hanukkah.